Good morning, Station Hill. Everybody doing good this morning? Good times. Good to see everybody. And I tell you what, I'm honored to be here with you today. It's always a humbling experience when the man is still in the room to ask you to preach. Is here. He's not on vacation. He's here. So it's a little bit humbling. But Jake, he's watching me. He's watching me. Yeah. So he'll come up here and clean up whatever I mess up. All right. No good times. Hey, you know, I, I'm honored to be here, excited to, to, to close out our Pursue series. I get a chance to do that. And as we, we lean in on this idea and the truth that, that Jesus pursues the hurting. And I'm going to cut straight to the chase because I know there's a lot of people hurting in this room right now because your brackets are busted. I know, I know fully well. Now, I know not everybody's in the March Madness, but I know a lot of you are. And, you know, God bless St. Peter's. You know, I, I, how many Kentucky fans? Just come on. I, you normally are loud and proud. You got some? All right, we're praying for you. Jesus pursues you. It's good. No, but I, I just love this time of year. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I know, there, you know there's Tennessee fans mourning. I had you guys in the Final Four. Y'all blew up my bracket by losing to Michigan, all right? Here, but here's the thing. I can't say anything because Florida wasn't even at, the, at that tournament. They were at the not invited to the tournament, tournament, the NIT. And I don't even know how they did, I, you know, but anyway, so it's uh, good times. I'm excited uh, to be here with you. But no, in all seriousness, uh, we're going to lean into this idea, into the truth that Jesus pursues those are hurting. And you don't have to dig deep. You don't have to look far to find hurt in our culture. I think we're all aware of what's going on in the world right now. And there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of suffering. And and the good news of the gospel, the good news of what we know about the character of God and his love for us is that he sees us in those moments. He sees us in those places where we are hurting. And the reality is he sees us and he meets us there. And that's exactly what we're going to look at um, in the text that we're looking at in John chapter 11. Now you've heard me talk about this before, but I am, I'm a big superhero guy. I love superheroes. I grew up, uh, loving Superman, you know, the supernatural leap. He could fly, you know, you couldn't shoot him, you know, he's bulletproof. Uh, I mean, I, I love it. I, I love the, the, the superhero deal. And, and in fact, when I was a kid, I, I thought I was Superman. I even had the cape, man. I wore that cape everywhere. I'd fly around my grandparents' house to the point that I flew into the chair, busted out my tooth. My parents thought I was never going to have natural front teeth, but they grew in miraculously. But, you know, I love, I love the superhero thing. And what is it about superheroes that we love? Because they see, they see people hurting. They see people in distress, and they come in there and save the day, right? They pursue those individuals who are hurting. And, and I love that. And I think there's people in our culture that resonate with that whole idea. In fact, superhero movies are, are some of the most profitable in, uh, in all the box office history. In fact, one superhero movie, most recent, in 2019, uh, Avengers Endgame, is the fifth highest grossing film of all time, including uh, taking into account inflation. It is number five, and it, it brought in roughly 2.5. billion in the box office. And I think that speaks to a lot of things. Now, I didn't do a deep dive into why that is. There's a lot of different variables. But I would say one of the reasons is I think we all resonate with this, the good versus evil. The good guys coming in and pushing back darkness, right? Saving those who are in distress. 
And so that's, what's amazing about that is comic books weren't the first ones to come up with that idea. You can look into the pages of God's word and you see just that. God in the supernatural. Using natural people, people like you and me, to push back darkness. To save the day. And and, and here in our our account today that we're looking at in John 11 is, is, is exactly that same thing. Jesus painting this picture and showing us that he has power over sin and death. The most potent thing that we deal with in our lifetime. So with that being said, we're going to read out of John chapter 11. So join me in standing, if you will. We're going to read out of John chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 17 through 20. Let's read this together. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Then Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Even everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you believe this? The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your word. And God, and I'm thankful that as we lean into this text today, Lord, that you have an answer to sin and to death. And Lord, the implications in our own lives now are huge. And so, Lord, I thank you for that reality. Lord, I pray in these moments that you bind the hands of the enemy. He has no dominion in this place. We are your people wanting to hear from your word. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that I don't get in the way of that. But, Father, that you will be honored and glorified. God, that your word will be proclaimed. Our lives will be impacted and transformed so that we can go and live a life to bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I pray right now that you let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. We love you so much, Jesus, and we give you all the honor and glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray and the family of God said, amen. You may be seated. So here we are, the story of Lazarus. And just to, I'm not going through the entire chapter. And we, we know if you've spent any time in church, you spend any time in, in, in the word, you're familiar with this story. And this is where, where Jesus paints the picture. He's confronting this issue of death. And death is, is something that none of us like to talk about. That all of us have been impacted by it. Many of us have lost friends, loved ones, people that we're close to. And we understand that sting, death has sting. The finality of it, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. We never really want to lean into it much. But I love the fact that Jesus knows this. He's fully aware. He's not excited about death either. But yet he sees us in those moments and meets us, and that's exactly what we have here. So let's jump right in into the, the first couple of verses, first four verses of, of chapter 11, where Jesus uses this and sees this 
situation as an opportunity to engage the whole person. Follow along with me as I read from chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, a couple of things I want us to pull from that to help paint this picture for us is that obviously Jesus has a relationship with them, but I think it also speaks to the reality that, that, that God sees us. He sees this situation and he's going to use it as an opportunity to glorify God, but it, it speaks to God's personal. He's a personal God. He's, he's intimately interested in what's going on in our lives. Now, in context, obviously, he had prior relationship, but I think this speaks to the, personal, the, the, the personal nature of who God is and why that's so important, that God isn't some God who's far off in the distance orchestrating things but doesn't care about the, what's going on. He doesn't care about the details. He does. He sees us in those details, and he wants to engage us in those things, and he sees this as a perfect opportunity to lean into that and, and, and wants to pursue them in this place. And he's going to use this as, a, as an amazing opportunity to, to paint and point to the reality, his seventh sign of who he is. I love how Spurgeon talks about this idea that even though that they, these, these individuals walked with God and they saw Jesus do miracles, they weren't immune from the pain of life. They weren't immune from the pain of sin. They were impacted by it like all of us are. Every single one of you in this room are impacted by the, the reality and the unfortunate nature of sin. It's here. We don't like it. There's war in the world. What's happening in, in Ukraine is a result of sin. The broken relationships that you experience in your own life are the result of sin. And the reality is, is that God has an answer for that. And he wants to, to meet us in that place and show us. Spurgeon says this, he says, the love of Jesus does not separate us from the common necessities and infirmities of human life. Men of God are still men and we're still impacted. We are impacted by this, this pain and this suffering uh, that is in the world today. But Jesus wants to address it. And I love how he uses this as an opportunity to point to the glory of the Father or, or, and point to who he is. Spurgeon goes on to say this. He says, we, shouldn't, we should have said that this sickness was unto death, but ultimately to the glory of God. But he who sees the end from the beginning streaks with the grandeur of style which could not be imitated by us. So the Lord speaks of things not as they seem to be, nor even as they are in the present moment, but as they shall be in the long run. Jesus is, is setting this up to forecast something that's coming. This greatness of, of something that's coming. This identity of who he is. Which really sets off a lot of folks. But that will lead us to our next thing. So not only do we see that Jesus uses this as an opportunity to engage the whole person. But Jesus sets the stage to highlight our greatest need. Because, yeah, there's a need right now immediately here for Lazarus, right? Lazarus is sick. We know that he later goes on to, to die. But Jesus is setting up this opportunity 
to, to help everybody that's engaged in this scenario to understand their greatest need. And the, their greatest need isn't just exclusive to them. What's important for us to understand is we, we, we examine this text and we see what Jesus is doing and how he's engaging Mary and Martha and whoever else will hear, he's also engaging us where we are to highlight our greatest need. That every single person that's ever lived or will live have the same need that Lazarus has and that ultimately that Mary and Martha has and anybody that's ever lived. It's important to understand. And so, but here's the thing. We know that Jesus, you know what he could have done in this situation? Really, because he had the power to do it, right? Is that when Mary and Martha were letting him know, hey, the one you love is sick. You know what he could have done in that moment? He could have just said, he's healed. He could have spoke it in that moment and just righted that wrong, if you will. But Jesus is always, always looking to teach his disciples, those that follow him, the bigger picture. He's always looking for an opportunity to teach you and me something about his nature, something about his character, and address our greatest need. See, the greatest need in that situation wasn't that Lazarus was to be healed. The greatest need in that situation wasn't to highlight or wasn't to even bring Lazarus from the dead, even though that, that's a powerful thing, and God uses that to, to point to who, who Jesus is. His, the greatest need in that situation is that all of us are sick. All of us are hurting. And Lazarus, even though we know he dies, but he gets raised again, he gets, raised, he gets brought back to life. What happens to Lazarus later? He physically dies, right? But yet, so Jesus is not even really focused on, on that as much as he is on the reality of the eternal. And he wants everybody who's engaged and everybody who's listening to lean in and understand that. He's looking to teach us something something that empowers us, something that transforms us. Which it leads me to the third thing I want to say is that Jesus, the third thing is that Jesus speaks ultimately to who he is, to his identity by engaging the whole person with the whole gospel here. That, yeah, and, and here's the thing, and I want you to get this. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the fact that they're upset, that Lazarus is sick and later dies. We see that. We see his empathy. We see his compassion to the shortest verse in the Bible is found in that chapter right there. Jesus wept. Why? Because he sees their hurt. He sees his people hurting. He sees he is not okay with what, what sin brings. Jesus doesn't like sin. He doesn't like the consequences of sin, but he knows it's a reality. So he himself is grieved by that, but yet he wants them to get a bigger picture. And so here we are, and it brings us to the, the, the passage of Scripture that we read together. In John chapter 11, 17 through 27. So let's dive back in. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And I think that four days is significant. Why? Because dude's been dead. Dude has already started to decay. I mean, death has taken, taken over this situation. This isn't like, well, maybe he wasn't really dead. No, he was dead. And that was significant. Where Jesus, even you go back to what we were talking about uh, uh, earlier in, in verses 4 through 7, when Jesus heard that he was sick, he didn't rush to the situation. He didn't turn around and say, Lazarus, you're here. He waited. He waited. Make sure he, this guy's going to die. This guy's going to die. 
Going back to, the, I'm sorry, go back to verse 4. When he says, it's not well into that in death, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her, sus, her sister and Lazarus. So, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place of where he was. Two more days. And after that, he said, let's go to the disciples. Let's go to Judea. He waited. He waited. And that, what was he trying to do? He's trying to paint a picture. He's trying to, to speak to something greater. And as they're dialoguing here in verse 19, it says, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. So there, there, there's an audience coming in. Mary and Martha aren't the only ones that are going to see what's about to happen. There's others that are going to see. Verse 20 says, and as soon as Martha heard uh, about, as soon as Martha, I'm sorry, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained at the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But here's the reality. They saw what Jesus could do. They knew what Jesus could do. They knew the power that Jesus had. And it's almost as if there's a little bit of frustration set in here. It's like, we wouldn't be in this place, Jesus, if you would have showed up. But yet, Jesus is like, no, he's, he's really wanting to speak to the greater need. And the greater need in this moment isn't the fact that Lazarus has died physically. So she knows. Martha said, I know that he will rise. Jesus says in verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. But then Martha comes back. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, for, for a Jew or for anybody really, death is final. Death is the end. We, we, we see his death as the absence of God. They treated death as the end of life, the final defeat, the sign that God has re- deserted them. That's what they were feeling in this moment. But yet we know there's something, there's something greater here that's taking place. And Jesus answers her with the most profound reality of who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you believe this? And you got to sit there and think like, wow, what is Jesus saying here? I love how one commentator said this. He said that Jesus was moving Martha from the abstract from an abstract belief in the resurrection that would take place in the last day to a personalized trust in him who alone could raise the dead. There is no resurrection. There is no resurrection apart from Jesus. And that's exactly what he's trying to move her to. He's moving her from the place of the temporal to the eternal. He's taking her focus off what is happening in that moment, which is finite, and bringing her to the place of an eternal perspective that is infinite, that's only, only given to those who are in Christ. And again, this is not to, to downplay what their pain is. It's not to downplay their sorrow. It's not to say that that doesn't matter because it does. I love what R.C. Sproul has to say about this. We don't ever want to downplay or deny the pain that suffering brings. It's real. Suffering should grieve us. Pain should grieve us. Watching people hurt, experiencing our hurt should grieve us. But Christianity isn't a system of stoic denial wherein we pretend that everything is okay even when we are enduring the worst things. So we deal, we face with reality, but he goes on to say this. At the same time, we dare not forget that the Christian hope, the one day of that suffering will be gone forever. 
And Jesus is, is, is trying to paint that and, and bring us to that place. I love how the Apostle Paul understood this. He understood it in 2 Corinthians verses 4 through 7 where he says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So that we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Trying to get that picture is like, hey, I know he's dead, but here's the reality. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will not die. Even though you physically will die. We know that. That's a result of sin. D.A. Carson says this. He said this about this, this idea. He said, ordinary mortal life ebbs away. The life that Jesus gives never ends. Do you believe this? He goes on to say, it is in that sense that whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. And that brings us to this tension place. Because we've all been affected by death. But here's the reality, and this is exactly what Jesus is getting to. If you are in Christ... If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have died to yourself and been raised again in Christ, you will not die. Your body will decay. Your body will cease to exist one day, but your life will never end. And that's what Jesus wants them to understand because that truth, that reality has implications that far surpass anything that the world could throw at us. And he wants them to understand that. And it's through this revelation of himself, obviously, is what's about to, it really is kind of the tipping point that really ticks off the religious leaders of that day that say, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to get rid of him. And this leads me to our takeaways for today. Because I think this is so important for us to understand. That if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus... At the point of that regeneration, at the point of that confession, the day that you came to know Jesus Christ in that moment was the beginning of your eternity. And that's the biggest thing that Jesus is trying to get across here now. Eternal life isn't something for later. Isn't something for just when your physical body decays and wastes away. Eternal life begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus can say this so profoundly that even though he dies... He will never die, ever. I'll never forget when I first started serving in our church down in Florida. I was in my early 30s. And I remember going to a, a funeral of, of, of one of the saints in our church. And we were at the graveside. And Pastor Brad did an amazing job with the whole, the whole service. We're standing at the graveside. And he, the last words he said was this passage in, in John eleven twenty five and 26. That was, he ended the service at the graveside with these words. And I remember sitting there in my immaturity thinking, I know it says that in the Bible. I know that's real. But man, that's the most insensitive thing you could say to anybody in a moment like this as a family is sitting there grieving. I thought that. And Lord, did the Holy Spirit get a hold of me and say, boy, you're wrong. That is the most profound thing and the most appropriate thing to say to somebody in that moment. Why? Because that is the reality. He was getting the people focused off what was happening temporal and wanted them to understand and know that if you believe in Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will not die. Do you believe this? 
And so you look at that and you see that that is, that is, that is such a, an amazing thing. Romans 6, 4 says this, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. When you come to know Jesus, you are raised to walk in newness of life. You're, you, you have died to your old self. That life is done. You've experienced a resurrection in Christ in this new life. That's why we love the baptismal. That's why we love the picture of baptism. It's not baptism that saves you, but it's that decision that you've made to commit your life to Jesus Christ, to die to yourself, and to be raised to walk in newness of life. You are a new creation. The old is gone and it's dead. But let me tell you where I got convicted in this. Because there's so many different places you could go with this text. And as I was praying and asking the Lord to speak to my heart about what he was convicting me with or what he wanted to teach me with that I could share with my church family, you know what one of the things was? It's like, Juan, you're so focused on the temporal. You, you, you don't do a good job of living with eternity in mind. And there's a lot of me that it's, it's, it's like, that, and I feel like this is a lot in Christendom in our Western, Western context we understand this thing about the gospel. We understand that Jesus brings new life. But so many of us are holding on fist tight to our old lives. We're holding on to our old selves to the point that we've got this proverbial idea that our old lives are on life support. And we're keeping it alive. Where Jesus is like, let it go. Die to yourself. It's not you anymore. It's me in you. Let it go. We hold on to this decay and death from our old selves and that starts to shape us, that starts to mold us. And then when we go through situations and struggles in life, then we're so consumed by the temporal that we can't see past those moments, those those momentary afflictions that again, they're real. The pain is real. I'm not saying that. And Jesus isn't belittling that. But the power of this text, the power of the gospel is that you are a new creation. You've got something now that nobody else has unless they have Jesus Christ is this ability to see past the temple and see the hope for eternal. That's why I love that we sing it as well with my soul today. And we didn't even talk about what songs to sing in light of the text. That's just the Lord doing it. And you think about if you know the history of that song and the, and the words in that song, that can only be penned by somebody that has an eternal perspective. That can only be lived out by that. And that is so profound and so true that why Jesus wants us to understand that he is the resurrection and the life. And that every single one of us need to be raised from the dead so that we can have eternal life. And we can have hope. And that shapes everything. That leads me to our second takeaway. Is that if we believe Jesus and submit to his authority, and I forgot to mention this before. What I mean about submitting to his, his authority is again dying to ourselves, Right? When we submit to Jesus that we're no longer in charge, he's in charge. So we submit to his authority. We now have the privilege to have the eternal perspective. You can't have the eternal perspective apart from Christ. It only comes through him and through a relationship with him. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says this. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Going back to that illustration about being set on life support, remember, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and what are we going to talk about in a couple weeks? He did resurrect. He is risen. 
I'm most notably quoted in this whole church organization as saying the Jew is loose. Because that is the reality. That is the power of the gospel. And that you can be free, you can be loosed through giving your life to Jesus. Because he's the resurrection and the life. Now the funny joke is there was a Jew loose before it and it was Lazarus. But he got tied up again. But think about that. You'll get that at lunch. You see what I'm saying? That, that is freeing power. And it doesn't mean that our, our struggles aren't real and our struggles aren't hard. They are hard. But when you view and live in light of eternity, that changes things. You know what that changes? That changes how I respond to adversity. That changes how I respond to somebody saying something ill towards me. If I respond in the temple, adversity eternal. That changes how I respond to illness, sickness. That changes how I respond to death even. That changes my intensity and my urgency what to make sure I am having gospel conversations with people so that they can be born again. That changes everything. And that's a privilege that we are given through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 13 and 15 says this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, your old self. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. And that only comes from being born again, being changed, the renewing of your mind. The last thing I'll leave you with this is, is if, if we believe Jesus and we submit to his authority, we can be confident that Jesus has the power to work in and through any situation. Do you believe that? Do we believe that Jesus has the power to work through anything that life throws at, at us? Do we believe that Jesus has the power to, in, to influence what's happening over in Europe right now? Do we believe that? Do we, have, do we believe that Jesus has the power to help those broken relationships in our own lives? Do we believe that Jesus can heal our hurts, whatever they may be? Because the reality is this, if Jesus has the power over sin and death, he has the power over anything you are faced with in life today. And you can take that to the bank and that'll give you a, a thousand percent return. So as we, we look at this and you see there's, there's plenty of things. Jesus himself says in, in John 16, 33, he says, have I told you these things? I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. R.C. Sproul said this, he says, when we deal with suffering, we tend to have our gaze completely locked on the present. But the Christian answer to suffering, while making it incumbent upon us to alleviate present suffering as much as we are able to, doesn't stay there. It looks beyond the present to the future, our hope in glory through Christ. So as we're closing out our time together, I want us just to bow our heads, heads bowed, eyes closed. I don't know where you are in light of, of, of what we've talked about today. I don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus at all. 
Because the only way you can have this and experience this new life in Christ is to die to yourself and say, Jesus, it's no longer myself. It's no longer I that live, but it's you that's going to live within me. You recognize your need for redemption, your need for a Savior, and you just submit. You just come to him. And the best way you know how, just lay it at his feet. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've made this life about myself. I'm sorry I've been doing it my way. God, I'm going to do it your way. And if that's you in here today, today can be the beginning of your eternal life. It's not later. Eternal life doesn't start when you, your physical body decays. Eternal life begins at the cross, begins with that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where you can live victoriously, confidently, and have hope and peace that you belong to him. If that's you today and you want to make that decision, I want to give you that opportunity. You can come up to the altar and pray, kneel at the steps, pray in the quietness of your seat, meet us out there at the next steps booth, whatever, whatever the Lord's working in you. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you, like me, have been so focused on the temporal because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that we are battling with and, and, and struggling with and seeing things change and shift so quickly in our culture. And in those moments, because we care deeply, because we should, we're so consumed by that that we lose sight of the eternal. And if that's you today, it's okay to be real with God and say, God, I'm sorry I have been so focused. God, I want to make a difference and I want to do the right thing, but Lord, help me to do it in light of eternity. Help me to do it with the power of the resurrection, the fact that you are the resurrection and the life to be the thing that drives me to do everything that you want me to do for your glory, God. Just be real with him. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to stiff arm you. He's going to meet you right where you are. And he's going to help take you to the place. Just like he did with Mary and Martha, he took them to the place he wanted them to go. He'll do the same with you as he's done with me, and I pray he continues to do with me. So wherever you are in this this whole thing we're talking about. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing. But won't you respond? Don't push it off. Don't neglect what the, what the Lord's doing to you and for you through the Holy Spirit. Lean into that. Lord, I thank you for the reality of your word. I thank you for this profound truth that you are the resurrection and the life and that anybody that lives in you will never die. Even though our bodies will decay one day, Lord, we know that we will continue to live on through your power, through your glory for all eternity because of what you've done on the cross for us. So, Father, I pray that you help us to live in that light. That, Lord, and when we're tempted to be just so confronted by the things that are going on around us that we're consumed by it, God, help us not to lose sight of the hope that we have in you, that the hope that you have made for the world through your work on the cross and the reality that everybody that doesn't know you needs you. So Lord, help us to operate in that. God, we love you. We praise you and give you all the honor and glory. For it's in your name.